today we gather because of that name. Because of the price that was paid on the cross for us. So that we could have real and everlasting life. So today, God, we thank you. We sit here completely humbled by your sacrifice. So today, God, we ask that your presence be so real in the lives and hearts of each and every person here. And I pray that when we walk out of this place, we'd be different. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. said, Amen. You can go and have a seat this morning. <clears throat> so as Chris uh, pointed out so wrongly, um, it is my birthday, and uh, I'm 38 today, okay? How many else are 38, okay? Just below that. See, I, I knew there were a couple. See, the funny part about this is this. I'm now, um, let me see, nine years older than my mother, okay? Figure that out. My mom is 29 and has been that for about 50, or no, not 50 years, that'd be, but don't tell her I said that, for about 30 years. Um, and so... Uh, it's kind of a little weird to be the oldest one in your family now, you know, so, uh, but today it is my 38-year-old birthday, my 38th birthday, I should say it that way, um, and it's, it's been one that it's, I don't know what it's going to be like. One kid woke up sick today, all of us have stuffy noses, we're supposed to drive to Louisville, oh, it's going to be great, you know, but here's the thing, today, or yesterday, Katie and I were talking, and Katie was 38 already, she's older than me, so, um, <laughs> had to point that out, <laughs> wiser, hey, uh, um, so I married up, you know, so that's the way it works, um, married an older lady, <laughs> okay? But today, one of the things that, um, we got to kind of talk about yesterday was, is your life what you thought it would be like at 38? How many of you ever asked that question? Because I think birthdays all the time bring you back to a place where you can kind of reflect and go, has really 38 years of life been really lived the way that you thought it would be. And so yesterday, I really sat, and uh, as we were talking about it, I, I had to look at Katie and go, you know what, no. It's not what I thought. And you're like, what are you talking? <laughs> like, it's been great. I'm not saying that, okay? So listen very carefully, because you'll understand this as we get going through. But it's not been what I expected. And the reason why it's not been that way is because when I was in 10th grade, I chose to take a different path in life. And the reason why it's not the same as what I thought it would be is because as I continue to listen to God and as I continue to follow him, he continues to take us down paths that I never thought we would be on. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think that would probably be the story of many people in this room that have faithfully followed Jesus for a long period of time. I think they would look back on their lives and I think if we could sit down honestly and we could pull them up here and put them on this microphone and they could, they could attest to it, they said, yeah, I, I wouldn't trade a thing. Even the bad things. Because I think the thing that I hold on to and the thing that I know many of my friends that follow Christ hold on to is the fact that we, we've been talking about this last couple of weeks in Romans 8, 20, 8, 20, 8, 28. It says God works to all things for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. So whether it's the bad, whether the good, whatever it may be, he takes all things and he chooses to make good out of them. And if I could sum up my 38 years of life, it's thank God that God takes all the things, right? And how many can say thank you, Jesus, that you take all the things and you work them out? And some of us, we, we started our journey really young. And some of us, it's been within the last few years. Some of us, it's even in the last couple months, in the last couple weeks, that we've experienced this overwhelming like sense of joy that comes from just knowing him. 
And so today, what we, we titled Easter Sunday was uh, Wrecked. And so if you, you look at Easter, you're kind of like, why would we call it Wrecked? Well, because everything about Easter wrecks everything about reality, right? You look at the cross for a minute. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Last night, I watched a little bit of The, the Passion. You remember the one Mel Gibson did where it was like really bloody? Anyone remember that one? Okay. Like, to me, that's probably the most real picture that you can get as close to it is. And it just was a reminder again of how amazing the sacrifice that God made for you and I. And if you can't sit and watch that and be moved and just be moved to thanks, then we, we've got a heart problem that we need to address, right? Because when we watch that, the, the visual reality of all that Christ went through is on display right there. And I, according to scripture and according to like all the historical documents, the amount of torture, the amount of flogging, the amount of all that happened in that day to Jesus, Jesus should have been dead before he even got to the cross. If you, if you follow all the medical things, and one of the great books I read a long time ago was by a guy named Lee Strobel. It was, it was called a, a Case for Easter. And it went through all the medical uh, examiners, and he, he, interview, he was a journalist, and he interviewed all these different um, uh, medical examiners. And they said, let's take the cross and let's put all that we know about the cross and all that we know about Jesus' pre-cross time where he was beaten, where he was flogged, where he was whipped with the cat and nine tails and and all this stuff. And let's take all that and let's put it all together and let's put together a case that said, this is real. This happened. And as you read this book, the detail that these examiners went into, they say that the fact that Jesus even made it through the whipping by the Roman soldiers was nothing more than a miracle. Because literally the cat of nine tails was this leather whip that had all kinds of different pieces of glass and metal and different things in it that when it hits, it would literally rip the flesh off of a person. And they said in order for a body to withstain all that they did, they took them to the point of right before what they would consider death for somebody. They took them up to the very last whip before they, they stopped and said, we're done. To let him suffer. And then to have to carry, how many of you guys experienced the journey to the cross this week? You guys came and you kind of did the thing through. Well, I, I had to carry that big, you know, that big wooden thing that was in here? Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Well, I had to carry it up from the basement by myself. And I'm sitting here going, wow, now I know why this thing broke Rod's shoulder when he tripped over it. You know, but I pulled, sorry, I had to bring that up. But I had to carry that thing up there. And I'm like, to imagine having to walk with that thing strapped to you for a whole, I don't even know how long a distance it was. But to be able to carry that after being beaten, after barely being able to breathe and all that stuff, to be able to carry that thing to the place where he was going to be crucified was just absolutely astounding to me. But the thing that's more astounding to me is the fact that he went all the way through it. And at the very last moment, he said, it is finished. He breathed his last breath, and he was dead. The Bible tells us a story that the, some of the disciples and some of the people that were really close followers of him they, began to, they took him down and they began to wrap him up and prepare him in the grave clothes. And they, they said they took him to this um, tomb that had never been used. And they laid him in this tomb and they sealed up the door. And what's interesting to me about this is that then r- the Roman guards stood watch right outside. This wasn't a normal custom. It was Jesus kind of rattled some people, right? And so the fact of the matter was is everything was locked up, everything was sealed up, and everything was done. Now, I want to I change our mindset for a minute. 
I want you to put your, I want, to, want you to put in your head a disciple of that time, a follower of Christ. Whether it's a lady that was forgiven uh, from adultery, whether it was the blind man that was healed, whether it was one of his close disciples that followed him intimately through this life, wherever it may be, I want you to put, take on their mindset for a minute. Take on the, maybe the fear that they felt in that moment when everything that they began to live their life for was hanging on that cross and took his last breath and died. This guy who lived his whole life telling that he was the Messiah, this guy that came and said he was the son of God, he introduced to them himself as the, introduced God to them as his father, right? Is now crucified, dead on this cross and being laid in the tomb. And then now they have to really believe, right? That he is who he says he is. And that he's going to do exactly what he said he would do. I can only imagine what that next day was like. I'm sure they were just sitting there going, okay, Saturday night cannot go quick enough. You know, like, Friday's over, Saturday's coming, okay, Sunday, okay? I'm sure they were counting down. Because I'm sure they were expecting him to be who he said he was going to be because he's always been that over and over again. You see, one of the things we see through the life of Jesus is that Jesus always wrecks our so-called life. He challenges our comforts. He challenges our way of life. If you, if you follow Christ and you begin to read, and if, if we're believers and we begin to look at who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be here on this earth, we, we want to look at the life of Jesus. So if we study the life of Jesus, what we see is everything he taught is pretty much backwards to the way that you and I live, Right? I mean, we, went, we spent, a, as a church, we spent a big time in the, the, what we call the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And probably those three chapters really explain who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do and what he lives for and what his followers are supposed to live for. And they're anything but what you and I expect. You know? He said you're blessed when you're, like, poor in spirit. He said, oh, yeah, that person you, you hate, yeah, well, you need to go forgive him. Well, you don't know what he did. It doesn't matter. You need to forgive him. And then he makes this other statement where he says, do not store up for yourself treasures in he- or on earth where moth and rust is stored, but store up your treasures where? In heaven. And so he challenges the very like, details of our life, the very materialistic details of our life, and he says, what are those treasures? Because he also goes on to say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he begins to challenge all the comforts, all the like, things that we find just ordinary as Normal American citizens, our rights, those aren't biblical rights. I had a good friend that sat with me a couple weeks ago, and they said, what does Jesus talk about? Does Jesus talk about human rights? I said, no, he talks about human dignity and worth. Because our rights, the things that we deserve, are death, hell, and the grave. But because of who we are and because we are his, he sees us with dignity and worth, and there's a whole bigger value to that. And when we begin to live our lives under his, his authority, we begin to see how everything changes. Everything. And he wrecks what we call this so-called life that you and I have. Some of you are like, I've done a good job of wrecking my own. He doesn't need to help, right? Well, the best part about it is when he wrecks it, he changes it. And even though it might be wrecked, it's what he does with a mess afterwards that's incredibly beautiful. 
I love what Paul says. It says he takes these like pieces, these broken pieces, and he begins to form them back into something incredibly beautiful. And he not only begins to form them there, but he holds them all in place. It's like a broken vase. If we were taking a break of vase right now, and we begin to try to put that thing back together, and we put, the cra- we put this crazy glue on, and as I've said before, crazy glue and I don't work well together. My hand always ends up stuck to the thing I'm gluing. And if we put this thing back together, we're going to see a vase, but the vase is going to look drastically different. Why? Because it's been broken. Because its scars are very visible. But the fact is, is that that vessel can still be used because it's been put back together by the one who cares most about us. You see, he wrecks our so-called life. There's a story after Jesus has been crucified and he's been laid in the tomb. And it was the next day. And if you want to, there's Bibles in front of you. If you want to turn to Luke uh, chapter 24, we're going we're gonna to look through some different, different accounts. And here's, here's the cool part. This week we're going to talk about how he wrecks our life. And the next week we're going to talk about how we live in the aftermath of it. Okay? And we're going to look at the different people, the different characters in the Bible um, that... Literally, when Jesus rose from the dead, he began to meet these people and began to speak to those people and call them into who they're supposed to be. There was an incredible aftermath that happened, okay? And so what I want to do is I want to I go through this, this little section of Scripture, and I'm reading out of a different translation, so you're going to have to try to follow along with me. But the beginning of Luke 24, we see um, these two women go to the tomb, right? And when they come to the tomb, they find that the stone's been rolled away, and they run in, and what do they find? Nothing. So immediately they begin to like, who stole Jesus? What happened? Where, where's he at? Right? They begin to freak out. And it says that an angel of the Lord came and said, who are you looking for? He's not here. Now, I always thought about this, and I, I tried to think that I would be a little bit more spiritual than they were. Um, but they knew Jesus' teachings, and they knew what he said about his life, and they knew that on the third day he would raise to life, And they went there, but when they got there, they were shocked because he wasn't there, right? So their shock was either out of pure, like, ignorance because they weren't listening, right? Or their shock was, like, holy crud, he was right, right? And so they began to look around waiting for him to go, gotcha, you know, like, something like that. I don't know. But then the angel goes, he's not here, right? And so what do they do? They take off and they hightail it back to the place where all the disciples are gathered, and then be going, he's alive, he's alive. And then there's that one, right, that never believes you, okay? And there's that one that was close to Jesus and never believed him and said, I won't believe it until I stick my fingers in the palm of his hands where the nails were and stick my hand. Like, you have that one. We all have that one, okay? That's the doubting Thomas, right? But I love the story that follows after this. And it says this. It says the same day two of them were walking to a village called Emmaus. And about seven miles out, out of Jerusalem, they were in deep conversation, going over all the things that had just happened. And in the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were not able to recognize who he is. Now, isn't that interesting? Like, they spent an enormous amount of time with him. They, they knew the nuances of his voice. Mine sounds a little froggy today because I'm fighting a cold. Some of you are like, it sounds a lot better. Anyways, but they knew him. You know that, you know when you know somebody really close and you've spent a lot of time with them, like there's a certain smell, there's a certain sound, there's a certain, you, you kind of know. But that they were walking along and they didn't even realize the guy next to him. like, part of me goes, didn't you just look and go, huh, 
you know? But it was like they didn't even bother to look or they didn't even bother to see what they needed to see. They just were so consumed with what they were in right there that they missed the very beginnings of this conversation that Jesus was having with them. So it says, he asked them, said, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleophas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what happened in the last few days? There's always that one too, right? (laughs) They live in my family. Okay, um, he says, are you, who are you and what do you, what, how do you not know what's going on? He said, what, what has happened? Right? I'm like, that'd be awesome if Jesus would just, what are you talking about? Right? They said, the things that happened to Jesus, the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him and got him sentenced to death and they crucified him. And we had our hopes hot up that he was the one. The one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day and since, it, since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. <laughs> Early. <laughs> that says enough, okay? I am dead. Okay. Um, they came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And some of our friends went off to the tomb and checked, and they found it empty, just as the women said. Again, women are right again. But they didn't see Jesus. I can't help but feel for these guys. Because everything that they knew, everything that they had abandoned, they probably had abandoned their jobs, everything that they were doing to follow him, and now they're having to sit at this spot of going, either he is alive or he's not alive, and I don't know what to believe. Because what I see and what I saw was a man who was dead on a cross that was laid in a tomb, and now I don't know what to, to believe. And now we've got these crazy women running around, right? Going, he's alive. And I don't know if I can even believe that, because they're crazy, right? But these two men continued walking, and they continued on their journey. And then Jesus said to him, so thick-headed, Slow, so slow-hearted. And we know those guys. I'm one of them. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophet said? Do you see that these things had happened? That the Messiah had to suffer and only ent- then enter into his glory? Then he started by, at the beginning of the book of Moses and went through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village and were where they, had, they were headed. He acted as if they were going on, but he... But they pressed him, stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is gone. So he went with them. And here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking the bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. At that moment, open eyed, wide eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth, they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? They were basically saying, we should have known, right? Then in this place of misery, in this place of no hope left, that Jesus would come and he'd walk right beside him and he'd begin to just slowly and patiently walk them through the story again. You see, I think the other thing we see is when Jesus wrecks our so-called life, he also wrecks our ideas of God. 
See, the thing I love about Jesus is Jesus came and he introduced a God that wanted to be near to you. Near to me. And so as these men were walking, they were remembering the times probably that they had with Jesus. They were remembering the teachings that he taught. They were remembering all he said about these few days. Yet they missed the fact that the Messiah was right there the whole time. And it wasn't until he broke the bread that their eyes begin to open and they begin to see that it was him, right? Near again, close to them. And I love what they said. Isn't it amazing? Didn't you feel that fire? Didn't you feel that warm like sensation? Didn't you feel different when he was near? Like that was him. So God takes our lives and he does the same thing. He takes our average ordinary lives and he wrecks them challenges our creature comforts he challenges what we think about who he is we've talked about that the last few weeks the last thing is this and then he takes and he wrecks you and me he takes and he wrecks you and me all of us have had that experience or will have that experience and you're like this is kind of a weird word for you to use that he wrecks you yeah because you're no longer yours The things that you used to live for aren't the things that you live for any longer. The things that you once found so important aren't so important anymore. You're probably wondering why, if you're a visitor here, you're probably wondering why a lot of people are wearing these shirts, right? Well, here's the cool thing. Our church, last month, purchased these to wear on Easter. And it was the the whole thing was to forget the frock. Forget the whole Easter get-up and buying new clothes to look all fancy for Jesus. Jesus likes you just the way you are, right? And so we said, instead, let's take the money that you would spend on clothes to go buy for your Easter outfit and your big hats. Okay, I think nobody wore big hats. Good, I didn't mean. Um, but you take and you buy your shirt. And can I tell you a really cool statistic? We purchased 48 shirts. You do the math. 48 times 25 is, Andrew David, um, is like $1,200. Do you know what the cost is for one, one lady in the Keziah Project to be taken out of human trafficking or sex slavery and put into the Keziah house? $1,200. So part of, this, part of the story when Jesus wrecked me, and you've heard this over and over, and I'll continue to tell the story because it's one of those moments, was a moment when I was sitting or standing, walking through this horrible, horrible place. To me, it was hell. And as a guy began to explain to us that this was a brothel, and there was these little shacks that were probably no bigger than someone's shed in their backyard, and there was a bunk bed in there, and mom would do business on the bottom, and kids would be on top. And that's their life. And they paid $23 a day to, to live there and to do their business. And as soon as we left that place... We are completely wrecked. Why? Because everything that I thought, everything that I have ever felt comfortable, everything that I have ever done was square in my face at that moment and said, is that more worth giving everything you have to making sure that these women go free? And at that moment, my life is wrecked. So we find, we get to our car, and we're, walk, we're both, my, Matt and myself, we're just bawling our eyes out. We get to the compound that we went back to which most people don't have compounds. It's just because we're Americans, we get to go in these nice fancy places. 
and behind closed doors we begin to weep. And we begin to ask God that God would change this environment. That he would begin to intervene in the lives of these people and he would begin to wreck them with his love and his grace. And from that, the Keziah Project came. And for the last three years, there's been over 60, 70 women that have come through this program and every one of them now is employed in a line of work that gives them dignity and honor and they're living out their relationship with Jesus Christ. All because God takes us to this place, reveals something to us, wrecks us to a place that we literally walk back to and say, we've got to do something different about that. And he takes it and uses it. And because of 40 shirts, 48 shirts, we get to enjoy one more person going free. And he uses that to wreck our lives again. You see, my life has been a series of just different avenues, or different things where I just watch when Jesus wrecked me. He, he does it with his life. As I read his word and as he begins to challenge me through his word about how he lived, it, it, it wrecks me. With his words, what he said to people, how he said it, just literally wrecked people. With his grace. If it wasn't for his grace, you and I could not be the people that we're supposed to be or called to be. But more most importantly, he wrecks us with his love. And his love is unlike anything else in our lives. When we truly embrace it, we find all the freedom that we need in his presence, in, close to him. The most famous verse probably in the Bible is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? They said God did not send his son into this world to judge the world, but to save them. You see, when he wrecks our lives, he saves us. Saves you and me. It's when I've followed his voice to the detail every step of my life, I've watched as God continues to wreck and he continues to change and he continues to save my life. Over and over and over again, he does it. And today, he's here and he wants to wreck your life. He wants you to, like, get out of the creature comforts and out of the things that you're living for that you think are going to bring you so much value and so much worth, and he wants you to see that all they're going to lead you to is a, a road that's death, full of death and dying. Some of us have been craving all these things that we think we so badly need, and yet in the end, it leaves us wanting more. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm the bread of life. Everything that you need, you have in me. If you're thirsty, I have it all. Because I am the bread, and I am the water. I am the living water. Jesus came, and he came to wreck you and me. My favorite verses is in Galatians 2.20. It says this, it says, I have been crucified with the anointed one. I am no longer alive, but the anointed one is living in me. And whatever life I have left in this failing body... I live by the faithfulness of God's Son, the one who loves me and gave his body on the cross for me. I can't dismiss God's grace, and I won't. If being right with God depends on how we measure up to the law, then the anointed one's sacrifice on the cross was the most tragic waste in all of history. If we try to do it on our own, and we don't accept his grace, 
His sacrifice on the cross was the biggest waste in all of history. Today, for some of you, you're sitting here and you've been trying to do life on your own. And Jesus is saying, just come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Those that are carrying such a heavy weight. He says, I'll give you rest. He says, come. And I think the fear is, is this. When we come close, he is going to wreck some things. Because there's some things that you and I know full well that we're living for that we shouldn't even be looking at or dealing with, period. And he invites you to come. In the midst of all your brokenness, in the midst of all your junk, he begins to pick up the pieces and he begins to form and shape this beautiful thing that he uses to change this world for him. It's for his namesake, as we talked about the last few weeks. And today, we're sitting at this point and we ask this question, has he wrecked your life? Because I can spend way more time today talking about all the different situations, all the different places I've been in where I've literally watched Jesus come in and completely wreck the way I see things. Why we're here is because he wrecked our lives and told us to move here. That's why. He continues over and over again through his word and his spirit showing us that if we want to live the way he's called us to live, if we won't, don't want the cross just to be something that ended everything, but we want to see resurrection life happen, then we need to start living in a way that honors him. My thought went through my head this week. So many of us worship the cross. But if we stop at the cross, there's no freedom. We have to embrace the resurrection and we have to embrace the Spirit. Jesus rose from the dead so that he can now live inside of us. And when he came, he came on the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says that he's put his Spirit into each and every one of us. Now we can live a bold life. One that may not look exactly what we thought it would look like. So I said to you at the beginning, my wife asked me, 38 years old, is your life exactly what you expected it to be? I said, nope. My life would have looked like this. Two kids, which we had. Completely comfortable in a job somewhere. Big church, you know, because you're a pastor, you got to think bigger. Um, nice cars. It's all the stuff that you and I both probably think about. But God didn't have that. We had the two kids. We had the nice house. We had a pretty cushy job. And God takes and wrecks our lives. When my wife goes to Ethiopia and meets this beautiful brown-eyed girl, and she emails me and says, I think we need to adopt her. And I'm like, you're emotional right now. Just come home, okay? <laughs> and so we'll talk about it when you get home, you know? And that, that's just the beginning of the story. And then eight years later, find ourselves living in Adrian, right? <laughs> At a place that never expected to be. Or not eight years later. That was four years later, or a year later. And then eight years, four years later from that point, my wife goes, guess what? We're pregnant. Oh, yes. Right? Okay, we got to figure out how to do this again, right? But completely changed our life again. Because when you... When you embrace God's plans for your life, 
the onset, it's going to look like everything's just a big wreck. But on the backside, you look at it and go, God knew exactly what he was doing. And he did. He knew what each of those situations would do to me. He knew what those situations would do to our family. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. So has my 38 years been exactly the way I thought it would be? No. But I wouldn't trade one detail, the good, the bad, or the ugly, for anything different. Today, where are you at? Has he wrecked your life? Has he moved your heart in such a way that, man, all you want to do is just live for that thing? That's where he wants us to be. Can we pray? God, today we, um, we sit here completely humbled by you. Knowing that it's because of your death that we have life. It's because you rose from the dead that, God, we can have, God, abundant, abundant life. Full life. A better life than we ever dreamed of. And here's the best part about it, God. You, through Jesus, told us that. You said that's why he came. So that we might have life and life to the fullest. That was your plan all along. That we get our hands in things and we wreck it. And yet you get your hands in things and you wreck it even more. Because in order to get to the real us, you have to get through all the garbage. And so today, God, we sit here completely vulnerable before you. Because some of us, we've been pursuing all the things that just keep leading us to dead ends. And today, God, you're asking us just to sit still. To see you. To see who you are. And to see how much you love us. I thank you that Jesus introduced you, God, as a God who is so close and so near. So today, God, as we draw near to you, your word says you will draw near to us. Today, if you're in this room and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're in this room and you just, your heart's been beaten out of your chest right now, because your life is one of those things where you just continue to seek out all the creature comforts and you continue to try to find life in something and it keeps coming back zeroed. If that's you and you're in this room, could you do me a favor and just slip your hand up real quick? Because I want to pray for you. Okay. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're someone in this room that you understand the cross. You understand the resurrection, but fact of the matter is you haven't really been living it out. And God looks at you and I and he says total obedience. Not partial. Partial obedience is sin. If you're in this room and you've really just kind of been straddling and you haven't really been living as you know you're supposed to live, if that's you in this room, would you just lift your hand up a minute? Okay. Okay. Today is your day. God gets to wreck you. And he does it because he loves you. So today, God, for my friend that's in this room that have acknowledged that they just need you because they've been living their whole life without you, pray that they would just pray a simple prayer that just says, God, forgive me. Come into my life, change me. Make me new again. The word says that, God, everything is clear and everything's clean with just a simple prayer. And for those of us in this room that have God just been living in a way that 
isn't honoring to you, but God, we would look at you and call you Lord. We've kind of just been living half. God, would you wreck us? Would you take the things in life that we've put up next to you and would you break them down so that we can see you face to face? Would you draw near to us? Would you come near to us, God, today so that we can truly live in the power of your resurrection? Lord, your word is so true that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. So today, God, may we live with such resurrection power in our lives that, God, even the smallest things, even the biggest things look small because of you, because of what you put in us. So today, God, we can sing with great joy that you are alive and you've forgiven us and you love us more than anything else. So today, God, show us who you are in a real way. And from this day forward, may we live each and every day obedient to your word, obedient to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?